Hey everybody, how's it going? Time once again for another beautiful, salient edition of This Week in Mormons, the premier Latter-day Saint news-focused podcast that still uses Mormon in the title. I am your host and founder, Jeff Openshaw. Very excited this week because we're doing a trio. What? Is it a conference recap? Is it temple predictions? Is it something weird? No, we just thought it'd be fun to have three people on the show this week uh, to just have a good a good classic twin mess around. So I will, be, I will introduce my co-host for the week. First of all, You've known him from the Temple Predictions, it's true. He's our excellent urban planning guru, genius, and as I like to introduce him, Corey, not Branch, Ward. Hi, Corey. Great it's to see you again, Jeff. It's the Glad worst joke here. ever, right? <laughs> yeah. It's good to have you, Corey. And also new to the pod, everybody, hailing from the fine lands of northern Utah County, a place where the dirty soda flows like wine. Happy Absolutely to have true. Longtime fan of the show, and also uh, I'll let you plug it, but uh, Liz Busby's here. Liz, nice to have you here. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. Yeah. (laughs) I think. Um, Now, Liz, you have a podcast as well, right? We might as well plug some things while you're here. So what what are are, are you doing? Yeah, this spring I uh, started a podcast um, called Pop Culture on the Apricot Tree, and uh, we just talk about pop culture things from an LDS perspective. Try to get gospel lessons out of things. Talk about things people might be concerned about or wonder about. It's interesting. We've been having fun. And, and, and so it's specifically about mm-hmm. trying to extrapolate gospel lessons from like regular media, as opposed. It's yeah, not like looking so like, at it. It's not looking at it like I don't know how I feel about this film as a Latter Day Saint because of its content or anything like that. It's it's, it's it's a it's a mixed bag of those. So we did an episode on Encanto talking about how it promotes family, but we also did an episode on like. Uh, turning red, talking about why we were concerned about it as parents and didn't like the yeah. message. And then we've also done explicitly religious media like uh, Silence, the Martin Scorsese film, mm-hmm. and the Noah film, if you remember that one. With oh, the, uh, how could I forget the glowing Noah? glowing rock one. monsters. The so, rock yeah, monsters. Fight. Trying to be topical for the Old Testament year. Oh, you have to... Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the director of Noah. He always does controversial stuff. Oh, what's his um, name? I can't remember either. What's his either. name? Oh I'm my god! I'm only getting Russell Crowe out of it. And that's no, no, the that's the, the, the guy, the guy, the man. What's his face? Okay, we're gonna get there because this is very important, everybody. Darren Aronofsky. Thank you. Oh yes, mm-hmm. that's him. He's an auteur, we might say, folks. So uh, that's cool. So uh, I guess you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely. Uh, anywhere. I believe that's Pop Culture Apricot Tree. Dot com. Your, your most mm-hmm. recent episode is about Free Guy, one of the most like breezily enjoyable films I've seen in quite some time. So that, But uh, we had a good discussion about it, talking about free will and agency and then like how to handle video games with your kids and picking positive video games. So it was really fun. Okay. I like it. I'm in. You get the twin bump. Yay. You will now have dozens more listeners. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Corey, how's everything? How's everything down there in old uh, old Provo land, my friend? Anything new? Exciting? Oh, it's doing well. No, just trying to get done my master's degree. So you seem fun very with that. excited about this your <laughs> academic progress. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of news this week. All kinds of interesting things have happened uh, since we last convened. Truly, a lot lots going on. Um, some of which is in Utah. Some of which is not. Some of which even in Provo itself or Utah County. So, well, plenty uh, of exciting things to cover and i barely even know where to start because i've not had a grab bag this extensive in some time because sometimes i'll have like five stories and i just spend time just kind of you know chewing the fat just trying to stretch this thing out ripping off yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. so i'll hop in here we had a uh, young adult 
devotional over the weekend, right? Um, and I believe this was not young single adult. This was actually young adult married as anyone really, under was, thirty. Yep. I got a lot of uh, confused looks from the people in the ward. Had to keep reminding them it's all people under thirty, not just the singles. And was this? I mean, because like we never talked. I don't even think we. I don't even know if we announced this from the pulpit in my word, just to watch the live stream of it. Because obviously we're we're not going, but I'm sure I'm assuming in Utah. I know letters went out basically for the entire Wasatch Front. They basically said like, "Hey, from Logan to Santa Quinn." Oh yeah, I got um, as the executive secretary. I got a letter from our area presidency trying to get everyone to attend from that area. And so, so if I may, Corey, I think you actually went, right? I did go. Yeah. So before we get to this, one thing I want to talk about is a, uh, this is not like official, but the funny little world of, I want to call it like Latter-day Saint Apocrypha, but the way rumors can go in our church. So I spent the past few days last week with a handful of people breathlessly freaked out that they had seen allegedly authentic communication from the area presidency or from others from on tr- on church letterhead talking about this event, most of it totally fine. Like all the stuff you'd expect, prepare all the things you prepare for, except one little bullet that said something along the lines of there will be cardboard life-size cardboard cutouts of president Nelson and Wendy Nelson. Uh, and they encourage you to take pictures that said like, come unto Christ and all these sorts of things as you take, pictures I, I can personally profit. verify this letter. I, Me I saw well. the email it, chain. Yep. I saw so the email you, chain from you, the area presidency to my stake president, to my bishop, to me. And I so this, so was, this, was this authentic then, that part? Because oh, yes. from what I saw, yeah. my concern with when I saw these pictures is it used on the letterhead the church's now slightly older logo, the current new logo with the symbol, as we call it. The text is fully justified left and right. But moreover, if it comes from like uh, leadership, they use a different style. The letterhead's different, and then they use that full symbol of Christ on it. They basically just don't use that old older church logo, and that's it. So to me, it seemed potentially fake, fabricated. I, I was pretty suspicious of it, too. Yeah. Um, it also seemed weird because at the top of the letter, it said, oh, we meant to send this out on April 20th, but we forgot. And so now it's only two weeks away. And what is going on with the area? Out. I was <laughs> like... <laughs> I did get that April 20th letter, so I knew about yeah, that. Yeah, we didn't get before, it in but... Highland, so. Okay, so it actually said a real letter that actually came to your inbox from the church, and it did say there would be cardboard cutouts. Yes. Yes. So this but was then, real. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, I that's think still it got p- nixed. I, I don't know. I think maybe. I would was... hope it got nixed, because I feel like that borders on like an idol worship kind of thing. I think that's. Uh, that's maybe that's... trying to be a little too fun and not thinking through things all the way. Yeah, that's kind of I I uh, that it, it troubled me if it was real. I was just like, I don't. This is not a good step for us. This is no, especially don't take like take pictures with President Nelson and then use hashtags all about Jesus and stuff and like. So I'm glad but they I, didn't. But there's no indication that it like actually happened and came to fruition. Just maybe like a bad plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bad plan. I just think uh, I'm glad it didn't come to fruition. I think maybe somebody thought better of it at some point down the line. Assuming because it actually went out and they announced it. Uh, it's, it just speaks to what's going on at BondCom, people. This is a BondCom failure. BondCom, what's going on? This is I'm, reminding me of um, in the ward I grew up in, in Cottonwood Heights, Utah. They had gotten a cardboard cutout of a guy in a suit and put it at the back of the primary and put um, President Hinckley's head on it. So we actually had oh. a President Hinckley cutout in the back of our primary room watching us all the time. And they used him for <laughs> peer pressure to the primary kids like, be quiet, President Hinckley's watching. It was, um, it was it was in the back yep it's the best part every time you like turn around there it is again to remind you yep oh my gosh well i'm glad they didn't do it um 
Anyway, so I didn't mean to take away from that. The fireside itself, my understanding, was great. But Corey, why don't you, I don't know, tell us about it. What did you, what'd you get from um, this? The fireside was great, but log- logistics were terrible, to tell you the truth. Um, no tickets, just come first come, first serve. They had. They said they're going to have a bunch of activities around Temple Square because you can't actually have them at Temple Square itself because most of it's closed. Yeah. So they had right. a lot of activities. They had 3 o'clock to 9 p.m. And I think a lot of that was just to like stagger the arrival and the departure times of everyone so there wasn't a mass exodus of cars. But it was pretty bad traffic the whole day, I would say. Probably there was a ton of road construction. It was Carmageddon, I would say. Oh, to borrow <laughs> um, a California term. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. But they basically everyone, they didn't open the doors to the conference center until 4.30. So everyone just like hoarded up, lined up by the doors in front of the conference center. It's probably like and, 80 and degrees. And you still didn't have tickets at that point, right? You had tickets. To like... So, so, so everyone's everyone lining up. As soon as you can. Yeah. So my group, we just kind of like lined, kind of like sat by the shade so that we were kind of near the door when they opened it. But then a line started forming around us. And I'm like, oh, but this isn't a line. It's just, we're just standing here. So we just, our plan was to rush the doors when they opened it. And so when you, when you went into the doors, they um, gave you a ticket just to verify that you got in first, I guess. Yeah. So was it packed at the end? Was it? Totally yeah. It ended up, I mean, we sat there for an hour and a half for it to start, but by the time, probably by about five thirty, you could see by the, on the top of the balcony, people were starting to leave because there's too many people. There's probably more than thousands of people that got turned away. I wonder that. what they did with them with Temple Square being closed. Like, where do you go? I mean, did I they think they had ahead? overflow in a few places. And then they showed on the church news video cap of it afterwards. They showed people like out in the conference center hallway watching on phones and such. Oh, man, this this is a gold mine. Then they're just and like, of course, when look at the when demand, single adults have to people. save seats. They just like they leave them there and then people come in with a ticket and they don't have a place to sit because people save the seats. And so logistically, yeah. I would say they could have done better. This wasn't general conference. This is just kind of like a some event they're kind of planning, but they didn't have that foresight into giving tickets or anything. So, huh? That's yeah, funny. I they uh, huh. that is weird. They didn't do that. So, what was the gist of it? What did we learn from this this fireside? I'm well out of the demo, so I don't pay attention to anything they say, unless the prophet's like, "This is for you, of your age group." I why would I even listen? So, please, please <laughs> tell me. Um, Liz, did you watch it? I, I, I watched some of it. I was in and out. I was at a family thing, so I was watching on the subtitles. Um, oh, great. But I, I thought it was, the talks were pretty good. Uh, Sister Nelson spoke first and then President Nelson. And they both talked about, like, Sister Nelson was talking about making your life more sacred and more holy, like focusing on the things that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said that was the main question she asked. She's like, well, what would you do if you're if you were a more holy person? And so then she, she I guess she had like a, a focus group that she got together of some young people that are married and single. And I guess the thing that got laughs is that most of the husbands there they did more housework, and so that's what that's what a lot of people got out of that. I definitely screenshotted that one, sent it to my husband. Yes. Come on, husband. Gotta do, <laughs> he's he's pretty you. good, actually. He's the dishes doer at our house, but. Still. <laughs> well, still. All right. So then, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the proclamation on the family does outline. I think the nurturing of children also means housework, right? I mean, oh, absolutely so. not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then President, um, well, first of all, this is the first time the conference center has been full since before COVID. Right. So yeah. You could really see that on President Uchtdorf was, or Elder Uchtdorf was conducting and you could just see his eyes were just like wide open and yeah, everyone is really 
Um, wide open amazed. like he was afraid this was a super spreader that was going to get out of hand <laughs> or wide open like he I was... mean yeah I didn't see any masks in there so and right now COVID is going through Utah not it's reporting true. that much um, but then President Nelson's talk I thought there's a lot of very interesting thoughts about it um, I I mean I saw kind of maybe some people would call it conflicting but other people would call it more like compatible views of, of what he was trying to address. For example, he talked about um, labels a lot. He talked about that mm-hmm. when you choose a label for yourself, whether it's like a political party or nationality um, or anything, it may limit um, what people think of you. People may presume things that you not necessarily believe or whatever. But then at the same time, he basically um, admonished us to not judge other people with the labels that they choose. Uh, I have a quote right here. It says that labels can lead to judging and animosity, any abuse or prejudice towards another uh, because of nationality, race, sexual orientation, gender, educational degrees, culture, or other significant identifiers is offensive to our maker. And so um, one of the things I found interesting was that he, he described himself as an American. And it seemed for, for like a leader of the church, he kind of seemed to not like hold that like a, in high esteem he seemed to kind of be like my identity as a child of god and as a child of the covenant is more important than any um other uh label that i have for myself i thought it was really good advice to think about like what do we label ourselves as and what do we identify with and how does that affect how we interact with others i think it was a really good deep message that's not it wasn't specifically pinpointed to any demographic i think everybody could learn from it yeah, yeah. he pulled out some of the some of the dad jokes i'd say like one of, he, he did, said, he a did. Lot of people think i'm an old man <laughs> and he said that things like ageism racism nationalism nationalism sexism and other isms are universally limiting and then um of course he brought out another that joke about green bananas again which got a lot of laughs i don't know that one um he just said oh at my age i don't buy green bananas anymore Kind of like apparently so, this joke has like, been I'm used by gonna, President Hinckley and also uh, Spencer W. Kimball, so it's like an inherited general authority joke that you make. Really, when you're old. I don't think President Nelson's like of all the ones. So even though he's the oldest leader in the church history, like no one's going to believe him if he's like, if I buy a green banana, I might not be here for it to be ripe. Because we're like, really, we're pretty sure you're going to live to like 110. Like we're all prepped for that at this point. Mm-hmm. Based, on, I don't, I don't know if I. Could. I like they labeled all the isms. I wish he could have done like a Ferris Bueller joke, you know. <laughs> A person should not believe in an ism. He should believe in himself. I want that from the pulpit and general conference. Word yeah, he brought well, out. There you he, go. Also, he also tried to kind of sound like he was hip. He, he described the acronym FOMO. He said that you should have FOMO to like get into the spiritual kingdom, the celestial was, kingdom. Was, he did a pretty good job getting the lingo correct. I don't it was think lit. It was bad. so lit. <laughs> um, when he told his jokes, did he do the, uh, the President Nelson beaming pleased with himself for being funny face oh yes yes it was great <laughs> oh good maybe i'll watch it yeah i don't know we'll see <laughs> who knows so that happened and then um cory did you want to take this next one because you want to kind of tied into it a little bit right sure yeah. yeah i guess um on saturday just the day before they had at the uh, i was going to say the delta center but it's the vivant smart home arena not the Delta Center. <laughs> <laughs> they had. Um, they also had the first uh, Love Loud concert in, um, I think, a couple of years as well. If you're not yeah. familiar with that, it's a concert that the Imagine Dragons uh, lead singer uh, d- 
Dan Reynolds. Um, he started that to support LGBTQ uh, youth in, I think it was first in Utah Valley, and then eventually it, it's for all of Utah. So that was in that was on Saturday, and one of the new people that was there was David Archuleta, and he one of the quotes that came out of that was, um, "It's a beautiful thing to be queer," and so I guess this whole discussion about labels is very interesting. Um, maybe in the the talk with President Nelson, there's a little bit of subtext of like you shouldn't choose labels that are limiting to your potential, where some people will take it as, "Oh well, if you choose to label go by stuff." like queer, then maybe you're limiting yourself. But I think people like David Archuleta and other uh, Desert Book authors that have written about this have described that, well, those labels I use for myself don't distract from me being a child on it. In fact, it helps me relate to other people better. Interesting. Well, that's cool they did that. Um, I've never been to that one. And then also I saw that uh, Dan Reynolds paid off the mortgage for Velour, right? Velour, the, uh, yeah. the music venue in Provo right there on University uh, University Avenue, which is a cool gesture because that venue is kind of, it's a classic now in Provo. It's been there for a long time. Uh, it had a very hard time with COVID, as you might imagine. It's hard when you have a live music venue and there's no live music. You have no product. Um, and they've, they've been on the rocks a few times. So that's a huge gesture. Imagine Dragons, like many bands fronted by Latter-day Saints has a history of playing there, you know, back in early days. I mean, Neon Trees did the same thing, right? I mean, Velour is an important venue for a lot of people. So I think it's great that he's able to use his own resources to just gift them with the gift of not having to pay anything to be there other than their, you know, their utilities and all that kind of stuff. So that's great. What a great move by him. So another story we had this week was the um, church put out their humanitarian report for 2021. Some pretty eye-popping numbers there. Um, in total, they said uh, the church gave $906 million last year wow. in expenditures and 6.8 million hours of service. Pretty impressive numbers. That's huge. I mean, that's almost a billion dollars. And it's it's good because we hear all the time about, you know, is the church doing enough with its largesse? to address the issues in the world and we're, we're, we're involved. I'm, I don't think, I'm not saying like where it's above saying we should do more, but always do more, but we're doing a lot. Yeah. I, I, it was nice to see all the numbers put together because there's lots of stories coming out throughout the year and it's hard to tell how much that is. Right. So it's nice to have this to point to, to be like, you know, we're trying and I think we're always increasing these numbers every year. I would guess if we go back and look at previous reports, they're going up. Well, I love seeing all the stuff when it goes down this article that you put up here. I mean, we see that, you know, 1 billion vaccine doses distributed, 80 million pounds of food donated, um, 585 COVID-19 projects, all sorts of things we've been up to. Good for us. Good for us. There you our, go. Alms will not, our alms will not be in secret. No, they will not. We are, we are doing good things. Hey, Jeff, so, what do you uh, think? Um, I think. What do you think this, um, I guess, this specific fund like comes from? Do you think it comes from our like fast offering and humanitarian donations? Is there a degree of the tithing money that goes to this? Like, do you have any insight on that? So I don't have like the, the, the full insight or anything. I don't, I mean, I know we're told where things go. I think obviously fast offerings play a role. I think some of our profits from our for-profit endeavors go into these things as well. I don't know if it's about tithing or not. Like I know the church officially could take the tithing money and do what it wants with it. You know, and when it's when it's been a little more controversial at times, if there's been questions of tithing's been used to build for profit things like City Creek, that was a whole discussion for a long time. The church says they don't. 
at the same time, we know tithing is supposed to be exist to like basically sustain church infrastructure and maybe BYU is kind of the idea of it. So I don't know if they like allot it for humanitarian work as well, or if that really is fast offerings, other donations, and using some of the, our profits from our for-profit endeavors. Clicking through to the actual report, it does say that that, that top number, the $900 million, includes fast offering assistance and bishops' orders for goods. So it does include okay. those. Yeah, which we'd expect for fast offering. Yeah, so. So at a minimum, it does include those. I don't know what other funds it includes, but. We'll have to chase this down. Yeah. Get to the bottom. How does it make you feel? Did you want there? To, or would you be concerned if tithing was used for this, Corey? Is that what you're getting at? You... No, I just, I think sometimes when there's discussion about tithing, sometimes members, I don't know about official publications, but sometimes members say that their tithing goes to charitable operations, where I don't know how, what that degree of tithing is. That I, goes I don't, to that. Yeah, and that's a good delineator because I don't, I've never thought that it does. Like tithing, I've always been taught, is much more of a, this is like pays for your meeting house and all the junk the FM group has to deal with. And it probably helps to build temples and it pays utilities and all that kind of stuff. Like tithing is literally just like operating costs for the church is kind of how yeah. I view it. But I, but I do believe we know tithing also goes towards like educational stuff too. Like I know a lot of BYU no. comes out of tithing funds. Well. Definitely. Um, funny little pivot here. I loved this article. Good on you, Peggy Fletcher Stack. You did something right. You did a great job here, Peggy. Lo- much love <laughs> to you. So, um, and there's a whole, there's so many hyperlinks in this article. She must have had spent half her time just linking this up. But the headline says TikTok or tracting. LDS missionaries are singing, dancing, and preaching online. But do these videos work? So most of the article is kind of a breakdown of the evolution of the fact that now you see missionaries. You can't avoid it usually in your social media feeds, doing all kinds of stuff, much of which we've spoken about here on this podcast over the past few years. You know, even the, remember the ones who recreated like the opening, was it the end scene of Rogue One or the I opening scene that. of Star yeah, the Wars? the end scene whichever, of Rogue One, yes. Whichever one it was, you know, to pass on the Book of Mormon. Like how much time did they spend scripting that? <laughs> but it was super engaging. All these things are really engaging. And uh, Peggy kind of explores this, like the genesis of utilizing sort of viral videos on social media as a tr- as a tracting as a proselytizing tool obviously though it makes us wonder is it effective uh and i i don't know the article fully explains whether or not it itself is effective like if we're able to draw the line and say yes we've had more baptisms because missionaries shot a video of themselves playing music on a hilltop next to a reservoir like we don't and it's hard to track that. I like how it's hard to measure that kind of stuff, like yeah. directly, right? But um, most people seem pretty positive on it overall. Like they interviewed, I think I had a quote here from, uh, oh, where was that one? From a uh, from Christine Blythe, who's a folklorist. And she said, like, not everyone is going to be swayed by an elder in a white shirt and tie dancing with the Book of Mormon in hand. But I've loved the fact that we are seeing 18 to 24-year-old men and women acting like 18 to 24-year-old men and women. I don't think that undermines the mission of the church or minimizes the incredible sacrifice that LDS missionaries are making to put their lives on hold for 18 to 24 months to serve God. Uh, I love that part. Like this is that demographic acting like that demographic, which is a change. I mean, I think when I served my mission, the whole point of it was to like appear more mature, more poised, more businesslike than perhaps our actual ages suggested. I mean, my mission president didn't even let us have backpacks because he thought it made it seem too much like college students. We were not allowed to have them. Could not. I just walked around with a folder in a Book of Mormon all day as I walked around. That was it. 
Um, and we were even given briefcases, which were kind of funny, but we never used those for anything other than like overnight travel. Um, so I think it's been fun. I just, yeah, I do wonder how effective it can be. And it is cool. Like the fact that these missions now like have sisters, like the, they talk about one who's her job is to handle the social media for the mission. Like she's spending her time mm-hmm. scripting out plans for social media engagement and what they're going to do as missionaries, which is awesome. Like that was not I mean, a at thing, a minimum, though. they're learning some marketable skills, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. Like, it's, and, and Peggy kind of makes that point in the article. She's like, well, maybe after their missions, they're not going to instantly fall into summer sales. Like, cause that's the easy thing to do. They're going to have skills when it comes to video production and script writing and social media strategy and SEO and analytics and a lot of useful skills in the modern economy. And that part's cool too. Yeah. I do uh, wonder how um, there's like the finding part of it. Um, I think I've heard that like, yeah. Part of the goal of these is to get a lot of likes. And then when you get someone liking it, you can direct message them. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of like a way a missionary can like tract is that the people that like their videos, they can send a message and see if they're more interested in other things. What I really wonder about is, will this continue as it's been? Like, I understand that COVID was an accelerator in this sense. I mean, these, these missionaries blessed them who willingly went on missions once COVID had hit and said, no, I'm still going to go out and do this. And many of whom spent like their entire mission being unable to even go in people's homes in some cases, especially for sisters. Um, wow. Like I can't imagine doing that. Good for them. Good for them. Because I would have been among the many who caused the missionary numbers to drop over the past handful of years and just said, yeah, I'm going to wait uh, <laughs> until I can yeah. go do this, quote unquote, for real. Right. So. I think this is, it's, it's cool. I mean, good for them in doing this and getting these skills. I it's I don't know what will come up. I don't know if they'll keep doing it. I don't know if things get more normalized with health and safety, if they'll keep it up. Uh, and they're only supposed to use Facebook and Instagram, by the way. Anything on TikTok, apparently, is stuff that's being shared on TikTok by members. The church is not allowing missionaries to be themselves on TikTok. Well, TikTok is a questionable platform, so... <laughs> I guess I can see why they wouldn't want missionaries to be on it. It's it's a lot more sketchy than some of the other platforms. They're all sketchy. Oh, but TikTok is especially sketchy. That's another thing I do is write articles for a nonprofit that helps protect kids from pornography online. And yeah, wow. TikTok is much worse than the other ones. Well, there we go. So that's cool. Well, I think Anyways. I think these videos have also been successful for this Instagram account. They sell modest clothing and they just like aggregate all the missionary videos and so it's a promotional for go. that. That's what I should be. I should just take them. I mean, like no one's <laughs> claiming copyright on these missionary videos. I think they're all fair use by default. So just do whatever you want with them. Just right? fill the twin TikTok feed. I mean, what's going to what's gonna happen? I mean, like the mission president from the Houston, Texas East mission is going to call you up and be like, hey, that's my Cease IP, buddy. What do you think you're doing there? <laughs> oh, so anyways, that's cool. Good for them. I'm glad. I, I thought it was fun that Peggy decided to write about this. It'll be cool to see what happens with it. Also, I'll throw a quick one out here, folks. Dirty soda. You know it. You love it. At least if you're in the market where people know it and love it, uh, which I am not. <laughs> but I have had a, I've had a dirty soda in my life, folks. It was, I remember it well. It was September 2016. I was in Provo visiting for, I was going to my brother's ceiling later in Rexburg that weekend. We were in Provo visiting friends and we had lunch at some place. And across the street was per- perhaps the original So Delicious location, the one that's more of a little hut. You know what I'm talking about, Corey? Yeah, it's still there, I think. Yeah. Well, across the street, there's a burger place that was pretty good. I forgot what Chum, it was called. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Then I went and got a dirty soda. I looked at this menu and said, this is absurd. It's just soda with more add- sugar additives to it. But more here and we are. more sugar. <laughs> so I got the Dirty Dr. Pepper, which was horchata and Dr. Pepper 
And you know what? It slaps. I'm into it. It was pretty darn good. It, it was a combination I did not expect to yield much uh, enjoyment, but I could get behind it. But not as an everyday thing where, I, the, as the article, this article says in the Washington Post, like a lot of Latter-day Saints love their dirty soda because it makes us feel like we have some kind of sophistication a la mixed drinks at a bar. But yeah, we're okay. Just with like way more calories and sugar it's than true. you're, for the most part, getting. From our Related, friends. I did see in the Tribune that um, there is the first non-alcoholic cocktail bar opening in Salt Lake. Uh, this is like a new trend, like yes. mocktails that actually taste like alcohol but don't have alcohol. And so apparently, there's one opening in Salt Lake. So we are so we're so desperate to fit in in some way or another. Oh, brother. Anyway, I don't know what else to say about this. Just the Washington Post decided to cover dirty sodas in Utah and how the, the marketplace is expanding. Uh, of course, it mentions the Latter-day Saint connection naturally because people aren't drinking alcohol there. And as we all know, we love to substitute sugar. Well, have you we ever sure seen the, the menu of Soda Delicious? You have some great flavors like uh, Eternal Companion, What She's Wearing. Um, you have Nickmo. <laughs> Just oh. friends. What is in Nickmo? What is, what is it? <laughs> the bicone consent. I love it. What is a it? Nickmo is a code red Mountain Dew with raspberry and pineapple. <laughs> I'm mostly doing that just for the code red Mountain Dew. I mean, that alone is a bad idea. But uh, mixology. Come on, show me the skinny menu. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then they'll be like, yeah, and also get yourself a sugar cookie while you're here too. Really, just. Just take it to the next level, people. Also, we want friend, to make sure. friend of the podcast, Rosemary, uh, Rosemary Card, has her own flavor. It's called a rosy water. How did Rosie pull that off? <laughs> I thought a like, there's, a, there's a, a, a semi-chain burger place here in D.C. called Good Stuff, which which anyone visiting D.C. should should go to. There's a handful of locations in the area. They have a President Obama burger because the Obamas loved it so much that they would order in frequently for their staff. And so... He's also got his own. They gave Mitt Romney a burger too during the 2012 campaign, but now it's not on the menu anymore. And they never Can you ask gave for it the on next... the secret menu. I don't know. I don't know. They never, gave the next guy... they never gave the next guy a burger. They, they, they decided not to do that <laughs> for some reason. Anyway, so, oh, dirty soda. Oh my gosh. All right. Anyway, I'm done. Whoever wants to say something else now is welcome to do so. People are tired of me talking about soda. Well, I'll talk about um, this article in the Deseret News. Um, it's an interview with the sister of Brenda Lafferty, who was the murder victim oh. in Under the Banner of Heaven, the book and now TV show. Um, and it's just her talking about her disappointment with the show, um, kind of feeling traumatized about it. Um saying the series is absolutely fiction and she's frustrated with how it leads people and it doesn't lead them to the truth or the reality of what happened. Um, and she feels like her sister's story is being used um, to send a message. And she's uh, the sister is not still a member of the church. And so she's, she's realizes she's like, it's okay if Dan wants, or if the uh, director wants to send this message, but she wishes she, he wasn't using her sister's murder to do it. Yeah. So it's kind of unfortunate. Um, I haven't. Have you been watching uh, the show? Liz? Yeah, I've actually I've been watching the show and doing uh, recaps for Public Square Magazine, The Ordinary Saints Guide to Under the Banner of Heaven. 
How's it? So, 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 so I mean, thoughts. I, every week <sighs> we've got another host on the show who's seen the show and I have not. So I'm always curious. Like la- last week, um, what did Devin call it? He called it a work of, uh, we called it a work of, fi- he called it mellow, a melodrama about a fictional church. That's what he It, it really is. Like they try to get in some of the, the lingo and things, but they overdo it. Like everybody refers to God as heavenly father only. We never use the word God or anything else. And it sounds really awkward. Um, I just feel like they could have gotten a Mormon writer in there and would have gotten way better dialogue. Isn't the showrunner like a former member of the church or like, yes, but he left the church when he was a teenager. Ah, so my argument, my argument is if you left the church when you're a teenager, you haven't held down a calling. You haven't had to navigate ward relationships as an adult. You haven't been to the temple. You're probably not a good person to represent our culture. Like you don't understand what it, what this church culture is. Um, so yeah, my, it's, and then to find out that they're also changing a lot of the facts to make the story suit their message. It just, it's presented as a true crime show, but it's not because they've changed so much that it really is more like based on a true story to get across the message that we want to get across, which is the church is evil. Why do you think they created a, because I mean, the lead played by Andrew Garfield is a fabrication. Why do you think right. they created that character whole cloth as opposed to, I don't know, based just had... What was the point of that? Is that to further that I mean, narrative? You're like I to think he kind of is trying, that sense they are trying to create this a little bit more distinction between ordinary members of the church and the Lafferty's um, yeah. who are off the rails. Um, so they've created this character so that they can show the difference. But I feel like it's also kind of a self insert for the producer, like, because he's going through a faith crisis. Like that's the storyline of um, the police officer is that he's going to be led through this faith crisis. I haven't seen the end yet. Obviously, it's not out, but I'm guessing that's where he ends up is probably leaving the church. Leaving the church, yeah. Um, and so it feels like that message is really in there. Um, that is the purpose of the show. It's not trying to show anything from an objective perspective or try to like really get involved in the discussion of these issues. It gives you one side, um, and it's a very negative side. Cool. So I'll be watching that. That sounds that sounds delightful. Next <laughs> oh, time it's, it's time to watch. Yeah. That. In I addition mean, to time... all of this, it's just like not re- well written. Like it's yeah. the dialogue is just terrible. Um, lots of maid and butler dialogue where people are like, as you know, and then talk about stuff that they would never talk about because they both know. Yeah, I think something important to, to recognize is that mm-hmm. this is not written for Latter Day Saints. So there's things like, for example, one example I've heard. I haven't personally watched the show. One example I've heard is that when he prays, he kind of prays like a Christian, typically like with his his um, hands up and everything. And for the American audience, that makes sense that he's praying. But having him like fold his arms or something wouldn't really make sense to that type of audience. So you kind of have to. Oh, I think they've done both. This is not for Latter Day Saints. Yeah, yeah, but there is a way to do an authentic Mormon story for an, a general audience. Like I think Tara Westover did a great job in her memoir, and she did a good job of differentiating between her extremist family and regular Mm -hmm. members of the church. Like I really appreciated educated. And then there's also a book that just came out um, called beyond the map stars by Rosalind Eves, which was published by national press and is making like library lists for young adults. That's about a girl in the 1800s in Utah 
who's from a polygamous family and she wants to become an astronomer. And it's about the conflicts um, between faith and science and between family and career for women and covers all of these difficult church things and covers all of the like quirks without becoming preachy and weird and doing all the weird stuff that under the banner of heaven is doing. So there's a way to do it. And this is not it. There it is. Maybe I'll still watch it though. You know, you know, <laughs> I, I, I open up Hulu and then I watch a shark tank rerun. I could do something else on Hulu. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I think the, the thing that a lot of church members are obviously pretty turned off by is the, the, the depictions of the temple, um, specifically the initiatory and endowment that are in the, yeah. the in one. the third and, episode, if you want to skip it. <laughs> so it's um, 14 to 17. There you go. You know, you it's, go. it's funny. You mentioned that, um, I went to the DC Temple open house this past weekend, finally, which was great. And uh, it was interesting because of one thing they really didn't mention at all was initiatories. Like you went, as you, as you walked through, uh, I'll give kind of my, uh, my brief, we can have a whole discussion about this, I guess. But I thought it was interesting because instead of having people go with like a, a docent or a leader, or, you know, like a group, like every open house I've been to other than this in my life, which is only a few. It's always kind of been you come at your time, a, a group of a certain number of people walks through with the, the, the person, the leader, and then they stop at stations and tell you about what's going on until the very end. And then you say, great. For some reason at DC, I don't know if it was to try to in, increase capacity or whatever it might be, you just kind of walk through it. And they have signs up that say what a room is that don't have a ton of information on them. They have people standing there who can answer questions, which is I've been to a number of open houses in the last 10 years, and that's kind of the pattern that they've transitioned into. That's the new one? Okay. Because Philly was only a few years ago, and Philly did it the old way, the the typical way that I'm used to. So that's what I'm still accustomed to. So So I did think it was interesting since you mentioned initiatories. That was like the one thing. We went to the women's locker room and you just walk right past it. No sign. Uh, the only thing they had was a chair in the way so you don't walk into the initiatory area errantly. And so, something interesting about that, that is that um, so this same week that that Under the Banner Heaven episode um, airs, the church also um, releases a video of the of a tour of the DC Temple with Elder Christofferson and Elder. Yeah. Or, I can't remember. It's Elder Stevenson and Elder Cook, I think. No, and, Redland. Um, Redland. It's this is the first time they actually do show the initiatory rooms. They don't have like the curtains or anything, but like this is the first time I'm aware of where the church has published a, an image of an initiatory room. So that was interesting. But yeah, as part of the, the tour, they did not include it in there. Um, and Corey, you were here in DC. We didn't get to sync up, but I think you went to the open house too. It was point last, last week, right? Monday. I was there. Monday night. I was there. I ended up going twice, Jeff. This is a story. You're very holy. <laughs> um, but when I was there uh, on a on the Monday night, I saw that they had roped off the room for the assembly room to go upstairs mm-hmm. to the seventh floor. And I was kind of disappointed at that. And I was talking to the tour guides and they're kind of like, well, we don't know about that. And or like, oh, that, that tape didn't used to be there earlier today. And I had heard a rumor, uh, not a rumor, but like from the back of the hall, someone saying, oh, if you come in the morning, they have it open. And so I decided to come on Tuesday morning, the next morning, and it turned out that it was open that time. Um, they had said that it was some sort of like steak day. Do you know anything about that, Jeff? Over there? So it's funny you mentioned that because so the steak day thing, um, I just found out about this one today. They have days set aside for all the steaks in the area where you don't have to have a reservation to go. And to be clear, to tour the DC Temple itself, you don't need a reservation. But because parking and where it's located, you either need a free parking reservation 
to be anywhere in the area, either at the stake center that's kind of next to it or on the temple grounds, or a reservation to take the shuttle from one of the metro stops that's pretty close by. Th- those are free, but you, you have to get a reservation for a certain time window to do that. Once you're parked and or there, you can do whatever you want. You go through the temple as many times as you want. You could linger there as long as you want. There's no group or anything like that. So the stake days are a time when they say for a two-hour window on a certain date, any member of your stake is allowed to show up, no reservation required for anything. You can just show up and park there and do it. And you don't have to, and, and that's the deal. So in, in you saying that, they did announce in our as a reminder for ours that's coming up that they have asked them to open up the seventh floor to be part of the tour during the stake day window. So maybe that's the only time they are doing it, which is cool. I've been up to seventh floor before for meetings and stuff. And it's awesome. I think it'd be really cool if they showed it off to everybody going through. Um, it was and, interesting because when it was open, they they don't have like easels up that have any information about it. They It's just kind of like an, an optional thing. And they were kind of giving the people option. You can either go down the elevator and exit, or you can go up if you want and see that as if it's not going to be a highlight of the trip, of the tour. And so... Well, they're probably trying to lean on like the, you just learned about seedlings and families being forever. <laughs> and also the Celeste Room is kind of like the big, like the emphasis of the temple. Like I, I really liked when I was sitting in there, I could be able to just like pass by and like I've been to a lot of open houses in Utah and around. And I think a lot of members go to those. But when I was there, I think most people there were non-members. And so um, it was really interesting just to hear their conversation and to hear what they were asking to the tour guides and... I will say it was a distinct and and kind of strange feeling for me. This is the first time I've gone to an open house for a temple that's being rededicated after an extensive closure. I've only been to open houses for new temples that have yet to function as temples, right? So walking through a temple in these halls and these ceiling rooms, celestial rooms, all these places where I've been to do the work in that kind of environment... And then have that not be the case anymore. It was it was still very nice, but it was kind of almost like weird to be like in the celestial room and just be looking around and seeing people, you know, in their tank tops and shorts and talking and doing whatever. And I totally understand the situation, but uh, that was different because that room has meant a lot of a different thing to me during my life. But I was glad people uh, got to go. And for the most part, I thought people were respectful. Someone in our ward gave a talk yesterday and spoke about, though, how uh, when she was there, she got separated from her family a little bit as they kind of moved ahead. And then she was stuck behind two guys who were just kind of like mocking everything they went through the entire time. Oh no. Which, which is, and so she broke away cause she was like immediately like, I need to remove myself from this like now, cause this is just going to be a, be very negative. And that's, that's unfortunate. Like you don't have to believe in what we're doing or anything. Unfortunately but. it was pretty easy to, you didn't have to really stay with your group. You could sit down for a second. You could just kind of speed ahead. Like it was pretty open of how much you wanted to time you wanted to spend in there. Yeah, it was interesting how just kind of loosey-goosey it was. Uh, the highlight for me was um, when we went in one of the ceiling rooms and my young boys, and uh, so we brought some friends of ours who are not members of the church, and they, they, were, they loved it. It was great. Uh, but then the kids started, like, climbing on the altar in the ceiling room, <laughs> which, like, officially it's not in play, but I was kind of like, ah. It was in the room where they want to show the mirrors, you know, show that off. And I was just like, boys, boys, no, let's not, let's not stand on that right now. That's probably not the thing we want. Uh, kids. I know, and I'm like looking at, the, and I'm looking at the worker like, please think I'm not a member of the church right now, and I don't know any better. Please be thinking that about me. I hope I pray. Um, so it was cool. It was great to go, man. It was a lot of fun. I, maybe I'll go back again before it's all all closed off. But it was uh, pretty cool. And of course, they changed. They did change the mural, as Devin and I spoke. Yeah, last I week. have an update yes. on that. Okay. On that tour, that tour video that the, that they, the church put out, there was one B roll where you can see the original mural in the mm-hmm. back in the background and so that i think that's pretty good evidence that they kind of took it out kind of last minute 
because um, the the, ar the artist that did the new painting, he was on his Instagram sending off that painting to DC just in January of this year. So there was a period where that mural was installed and then they decided to switch it out. And I'm curious about it. I get the reasons why the old mural was bigger and wider, but the, the message of the mural was kind of like the good, the bad, those who follow fire those and brimstone, mm -hmm. a little bit, of, a little bit of that. And now the new one is just very, just like, here's the Lord and that's fine. And I know we, we found some article from the trib last week that, that mentioned kind of like it might come back in some capacity, but I, I've, so I'm wondering, like maybe the visitor center or maybe like a museum in Salt Lake. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe we can just, you know, save all of the murals inside. This will be like the Manti <laughs> temple all over again. Let's start a movement. Um, yeah, it was cool. So it's really, it's really fun. I'm in DC there. I have never had an experience quite like that for an open house being kind of that free flow. And I didn't know that was the new norm, which I was at the Mesa I, I temple earlier like, in October and it was pretty okay. similar. Oh, they so did a little the bit more question. of explanation of each room. Yeah. Here's a question then. Do they do the free flow for rededications specifically? I, no, I've did also it? been to the other ones. Okay. Um, All right. I don't know. I'm so, just trying to throw theories. I've out. been to Idaho Falls as well. So Idaho Falls, which was originally dedicated in the 1940s. I don't think you were there for the first one, buddy. <laughs> I've been the rededication. Sorry. Aha. In 2017. Yeah. Did you go to Pocatello though? I didn't. I'm trying to think the last like new temple I've gone to. I think it was... I, I can't say right now. Okay, so we need, we need the Twim Nation to sound off here on like, if you've been to a new temple open house recently, what was it like in terms of structure and how that was done? I'm just very curious. Uh, so moving on, if we're good, are we good on mm -hmm. DC Temple? We're good. We talk about it. <laughs> Liz is like, yes, Liz we are good. Talk. It's <laughs> fine. It is fine. I'll be happy when they build that temple up at the Texas Instruments campus in Lehigh. Um, 20 movies, nearly every Latter-day Saint has seen. It wouldn't be LDS living with a solid listicle, people. This is a great listicle. Good times. I like that we. I like that the other side of heaven bothers to say Academy Award winner Anne Hathaway, who of course has a small role in it before she was famous, and her Oscar has nothing to do with that movie whatsoever. But hey, whatever. Good times all around. So How about you, how about you name all of them and then we say yes, no, if you've seen it. Okay, I will name them and we'll try to be quick here so we don't spend 20 minutes on this segment, which would be bad. <laughs> but uh, so this is this is just the LDS living, alleging these are the ones we've seen. All right, Joseph Smith, Prophet of the Restoration. Yes, obviously. Yes, yes but yeah. have, you seen, have you seen both versions? Yeah. I think so, they, actually. They play a different one now in the Legacy Theater compared to what's on YouTube. And they're very different, very different edits. Uh, on the Lord's Errand, The Life of Thomas S. Monson. Yep. I, I don't think I've seen that one, actually. I don't, I don't think I've seen that one either. Man's Search for Happiness, the old classic from 1964. I can't say I have. I have not they also seen made that one 19, either. They made a 1986 version, though. You might have seen that one and not realize it. Uh, Mr. Kruger's Christmas. Classic. Of course. Yes. Johnny Lingo. Yes. Yes. I watched that in the temple doing baptisms in Idle Falls Temple growing up. Oh, God. First of all, I don't think that's appropriate. Second of all... <laughs> I have never seen Johnny Lingo. I, I, I know. Shocking. I know. Uh, the Mountain of the Lord, the old the dramatization of the original dedication, construction dedication of the Salt Lake Temple. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've seen that one. I fell in love with it on my mission because it was like the Gonna one. Going to have to pull that one out when the temple gets rededicated. They should. My kids, will, my kids haven't seen it. 
This was like the one English language video we found in one of my mission areas. And so we taught a lot of, Af a lot of uh, Sub-Saharan Africans. And so I was like, sweet, I can actually like watch a video in English with them. We're going we're gonna to sit down for 75 minutes and watch the Mountain of the Lord. Uh, Legacy. Great. Oh, yeah. Yes. The Testaments. Great, yeah. Yes. Meet the Mormons. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. No, I, I never watched this one. one, actually. You never saw Meet the Mormons? No. On YouTube. No, President, I should watch it. Elder Holland made it like kind of, as much as said it was like your your ecclesiastical duty to see that on opening weekend in the theater. They were pretty. Out I of had that. a one year old at the time, so it wasn't happening. Well, I, I was a missionary in Mexico, and they told us if we went to the movie theater, we'd also get a plane ticket home. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, seventeen miracles—a story about the Willie Martin Handcart Company. I haven't seen this one. Me neither. Uh, Ephraim's Rescue, the true story of Ephraim Hanks. Yep. Nope. No. Nope. I've heard of it. The, Co the Cokeville Miracle. So no. Some of these I are know the history recent. of it, but I haven't watched the movie. The Saratov Approach. Yep. Yes. That was the last one I watched before one of my mission, and I thought I was going to be uh, abducted. Abducted, ransomed, and delivered. <laughs> just like right. the Not a good one to watch right before the mission. <laughs> um, the best two years. Classic. Yes. Yeah. I'm surprised this one made the list. The next one, The Errand of Angels. I like oh, yeah. that one. I've seen it, but I've seen it just kind of like randomly on BYU TV. I never, I always thought this was kind of a second tier one that I, don't, I would not assume everyone's seen that, but I, I think it's great. Me. I think it's a really underplayed one. Uh, the Other Side of Heaven. Yep. Yep. Uh, the Other Side of Heaven 2. Yeah. I have not seen that one yet. It's on the I list. I haven't seen it either. It's free on BYU TV. Go yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm going to watch it then. All right. Emma Smith, My Story. Damn. I haven't seen that one, but I've seen Jane and Emma. That's a different one. We're not there. Okay. The Singles Ward. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. The Singles Ward, I will always stand by for being awesome. Uh, the RM. Classic. Yes. Which I actually watched a year ago because we randomly found it on like Living Scriptures and we were on vacation. And... It wasn't like as bad as I remember. I walked away saying like, all right, this is super terrible. That's their full list of 20. They have the bonus round though that's almost as long. All right, ready. Once I was a beehive. Yes. Once I was engaged. No. Nope. Not yet. Corey, Corey, come on, man. We're big supporters of Lisa and Haley. Come on, man. All right. Trek the movie. No. Nope. No. Witnesses. Uh, yes, I have. I haven't seen that one. Witnesses is Okay. Uh, his name is Greenflake. Was one I need. I've not seen that. I one. did see this. I one. need it's to watch good. that one. I need yeah. to see that one. Lamb of God. I've never even heard of. Oh, I you mean, haven't heard of it? I've listened to the music. It's a Rob Gardner thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a concert film, so I haven't seen it. Then, of course, The Chosen. <gasps> the Chosen. Yes. The TV. That's not a movie. Come on. No, it's not a movie. And then Jane and Emma. Yep. All right, so this is a fun list. A little disappointed that uh, Down and Derby, um, the Home Teachers, Lobsters and Mormons, <laughs> Baptist at our barbecue. I mean, where were these ones, people? Where's the Halcyon days of hailstorm? Come on, man. Jeez. Well, that was fun. Good times. That's it. That's all I've got on that one, folks. That was just yeah, some fun. That's it. All right, what's going on with Brad Wilcox? Well, apparently Brad Wilcox teaches the maturation program class at local schools. That This is a story that Fox 13 had to investigate, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently it's real suspicious. 
after the fallout from his like Alpine youth devotional, he's yeah. just been like a. I think I think Fox Thirteen just discovered that he has a, a lot of clicks, so I think they wanted some more stuff on him. It's got a yeah, target for sure. On so I mean, it's kind of a what nothing is- story. I think people were worried that he was like teaching it from a religious angle in public schools, but turns out it's just totally secular. And yeah, he doesn't have any like health professional credentials, but I don't think most of the people teaching the maturation program in elementary schools do. So not a big deal, I guess that was kind of the conclusion. It was just a thing. I mean, he's a, he was a sixth grade teacher back in the day. And so I think they just like, the kids like him. So they'll pay attention if he talks. I mean, yeah, that's one thing you can say for him. He has an entertaining style or tries to. Do we worry that he has no background in health or anything though? Just that he's done this. So everyone's like, yeah, he's done this. It's cool. I mean, do you want Brad Wilcox teaching your kid about puberty? Is he the one to do that? I mean, do you really need a health background to do a fifth grade intro to puberty or sixth grade? Like, Look, I don't, I, you know, I, what do I know? My dad gave me the talk uh, in the parking lot before we went to see a movie. So like, well, I, you know, and that's, I'll always remember it was the Robert Redford vehicle uh, sneakers, the fun little heist film with baby boomers. It was great. Very fun time. Oh, here's the story on how he got the job. He said, he gave his first lecture in 1986 because he complained about the presenter who was giving the talk at the school. And so the principal gave him the job. <laughs> Think you can do better. That's what happens when you complain about what someone else is doing. You get the job. Yeah, that's true. You gotta be careful with that. That's how I wound up in the bishopric. Now I was like, are you kidding me? This second counselor sucks. <laughs> that's not what happened. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, All right. Speaking of Brad Wilcox, um, one of something that came out of that was there was a group of black students at BYU that um, wanted to have a discussion with him, so they showed up to his class, and I think they were kind of whisked away by security. But they've kind of became famous lately on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. Um, a lot of uh, national outlets have been covering them, and so basically what they do is they go to the Wilkinson Center and they like ask for opinions from BYU students, and then they, they just give their honest opinion, and then they put it out there. Um, so, so a lot of things are about like race in the priesthood or about um, LGBTQ people in the church. And so um, I guess it's, it's, it's a little bit of a gotcha where it's like... It, it's definitely kind of a gotcha format. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, they no. select the ones that make people look bad. I mean, they put both, but that's those are the ones that end up getting traction. And so... Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of mixed. I don't, I don't know it. Yeah, it but yeah, they got covered by BuzzFeed this week. So, yeah, it's been a conversation starter um, and everything. So, there's just yeah, I've seen some of their stuff. Um, for example, I like they talked about when they talked about race in the priesthood. They asked, "Do you think it was of God?" And then some people are like, "Honestly, yeah." And so then they spoke about how, like, as a black person, they're saying that to their face. They felt pretty hurt about that, and so they're kind of demonstrating about what members' attitudes are about it. So. All right. I mean, it is BuzzFeed. And, of course, they're using, they're yeah. using the word menace, which is the, the Brigham Young, like, menace of society thing. So yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. play on that. I think I felt so sad, though, to say black menaces. I don't know. I just, I, I, <laughs> yeah. That doesn't play well. Well, all right. Uh, quick thing here. Primary Children's Hospital, beloved institute of children's health care. Owned by Intermountain Healthcare, which owns, I think, every healthcare institution in all of Utah, 
it seems, <laughs> is now 100 years old. They had President Camille Johnson, the, the currently the primary general president until August, when she's going to become the Relief Society general president, uh, spoke at this event to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the much venerated hospital. And so Church News has a pretty a longer form article uh, going into some of the detail all about primary children's and its history and uh, how it came about. In the first place, the idea first began in 1911, all those years ago, as a way to take care of the kids in Utah specifically. And obviously, it's done a lot of good since then. So good on them. Anyone else have any strong feelings about Primary Children's Hospital? Yeah, all right. I didn't think so. That's great. They're great, yeah. It's super, super duper wonderful news. Also, I would love to do this, this pointless listicle from uh, from LDS Living. I was going to skip it, but I'm feeling sassy. So I, this is an article that says four things Latter-day Saint women can learn from Julie Andrews, skiing, discipleship, and planning. I'm not even going to read all the four <laughs> things to you because I really think this solely exists to promote Danielle Christensen's little side project of the Magnify Community Instagram feed. And I think this is literally just to get you to follow Magnify Community on Instagram. I think that's the only reason this article exists. This article is backdoor programming, native advertising, whatever you want to call it, for this feed. There's nothing wrong it with that. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this account. I'm not dissing it, but it's almost like, because how else do you get the headline of, you can learn things from Julie Andrews, skiing, discipleship, and planning, just planning, just planning in general, things you can learn from planning. Um, it's like they said, let's take four of our best performing posts and then embed them on an LDS Living article and say yes. So, folks, if you want to read that, you can go to you know thisweekinmormons.com with this episode, and I will, we will link to that article. And then you can. I mean, why are you not them. reaching out to them, Jeff, to advertise the four best episodes of This Week in Mormons? I mean, well, I don't have Instagram <laughs> feeds to support it. That's the main issue. We got to get on it. There was a stretch when LDS Living was actually uh, syndicating some of our written content. Yeah. Those were the days. Those were the days. There you oh, go. Man. I know. Well, let's see. We're coming up close to the hour. What else do we want to cover, friends? Uh, we got this we little go. article from the Deseret News about uh, two people being charged with hate crimes for we, you talked about the one last week of lighting the missionary's car on fire. Yeah, and then nice. also one in Missouri for somebody who um, burned down an LDS meeting house. Um, he's also being charged with a hate crime. So good on the, the judge. For going with that. Nice. Some nice folks. Yeah. I guess finally, uh, you also had on there, Jeff, six ways to support bishops. And you said you're in the bishopric. So what can we do to support you? I'm not the bishop. Doesn't matter. This doesn't <laughs> say six ways to support the bishop and his kids. One of the bullets should be number seven. Let his counselors do everything. Um, no, it's uh, this is good. I saw this article. I mean, I think I think the important thing to know is the role of a bishop is evolving, and it has a lot since President Nelson came in. You know, in the past three years, when we restructured a lot of things, a lot of quorums and and focus, got rid of the young men's presidency, all this. That's the good thing to know. Um, the one thing I've seen a lot of, even before when I was executive secretary for a very long time, uh, was to learn how to keep certain things off the bishop's plate that don't need to be there because ward members might default still like come to the bishop with all their problems. And we're now in an era where the Relief Society president and Elders Quorum president are empowered in many ways to handle a lot of that. They're not they're not judges in Israel. You know, they're not for there for like a, a certain things like, you know, if it's matters of repentance and confession, things like that. 
but a lot can fall on them to handle. That's one of my For sure. main takeaways. Yeah. Is like I, I would like to hear Jeff about that because I'm executive secretary right now, and there's some people that like continue to go to the bishop where I don't know if they they probably have reasons to do that. But is do you have any insights about how to like maybe funnel people to other resources? So Corey, that's um. Like that's a really good question because sometimes when you're executive secretary, you don't always know the reasons why people are visiting w- with the bishop, and it's not always your place to know that. Right? Sometimes they just yeah. add to see the bishop, and I don't say, like, well, "What's this about, buddy?" Huh? Um, I fu- I found I could kind of feel it out a bit better when I developed kind of a shorthand with ward members. I'd know, and yeah, that could kind of work. But some of that's just stuff you just have to feel out as time goes on. If people do say what they are interested in visiting with the bishop to do, that can be helpful. Um, and then likewise though, I would talk to my Bishop and just, you know, there's things he's not going to tell me and that's fine. But I'd say like, you know, I know you're, you're doing a lot of visits with so-and-so or this or that. Like, is, is this something you want to do? Do you need me to try to ease off? Do you need to slow down the pace there? Whatever it might be. Or sometimes he would said, come back the other way and say, Hey, I need to see this person like weekly or bi-weekly, like until into perpetuity. I don't care. And I don't know why just do it. Set yeah, it up. I, yeah, I think I'll just talk to him more and, and see if. If he wants yeah, yeah. those people to continue or not. Because so, yeah. you don't have to get into specifics, but you just need no. to just talk to him and uh, and see what's up. Because it is true. There's a lot of people who probably are just going to him with. Just because it's the default, of... right? For so long, it's been the default. I know I'm the Relief Society secretary and I know our presidency is like really uncomfortable about the idea of counseling with people, which is what you can take off the bishop's plate a little bit, like. Yeah, talking exactly. to people on a regular basis and they're just very uncomfortable with this idea still because we're still stuck in the mindset that like that's the bishop and we shouldn't have to do any of that yeah exactly but it doesn't have to be the bishop they should do a lot and even likewise like things like temple recommend interviews uh that can vary a little bit counselors can do those and people don't always realize that if it's a renewal i don't know i actually haven't looked in the handbook if the handbook is the one that says what qualifies as renewal period or if it's like bishop's preference like in my ward I think it's my ward. My bishop will let you renew if your interview has not lapsed more than six months and you've been in the ward for more than a year. So you can be in a, on an expired recommend, but if you're a known quantity and it's been less than six months, you, you can still go to a counselor and get it renewed in that sense. If you don't qualify for either of those two, then you go to the bishop. Like that was one of those things I learned early on. I'd always ask, I'd look people up like because when you're exec sec, you can see their, that, their recommend status. And I can just be like, well, uh, you don't need to meet with the bishop. You can just meet with one of the counselors. They do their own thing. Just call them. Okay, it's fine. I don't know. So, Great. Thanks. Just, just, just help those bishops. You know, there's a lot to do. The article has a lot of ideas, of course, like respect his time, be a friend, pray for him, do your part. Big, the biggest one here, though, is understand the bishop's role with the youth. There's a huge new focus on the youth. That is the biggest thing. That is a massive change. Not that the bishops haven't cared about youth before but effectively turning the Bishop Brick into a young men's presidency at the same time, that's a major change. And they are emphasizing that like crazy with the youth. I am confident it is because the church recognizes that the generation right above that, pretty much like our generation has had a lot of people leave the church because they've, for a number of reasons, primarily which, cause we're like the internet generation of finding stuff online. And that's been something we've had to sort through. And in many ways you have to like, deal with the fact that there's a lot of losses uh, from our age group and there's a desire not to repeat that with the rising generation. I think there's a lot of concern about keeping youth in because plenty of them are leaving the church. Religion's less and less cool and interesting and it's something you want to do. And so recognize that stuff. Good stuff. So 
it's fun. It's been fun being a counselor so far. I'm only a couple of weeks into it, but it's been educational. I got like doing my first Temple Recommend interview was actually a very fulfilling experience. I enjoyed that a lot. That was cool. Cool thing to be able to do. Um, otherwise, we're pretty good on stuff. I don't know if we want to talk about tax exempt things. I mean, it's an area that's always interesting, but it's almost like too much for the show. I don't know. What do you think, Liz? What do you think? What do you think? I mean, it's kind of just a random editorial in the Salt Lake Tribune from, what's his name? Paul Marrow, who was the former longtime president of the Sutherland Institute. And he's just arguing that the church should surrender its tax-exempt status before someone makes us, basically. I like that that's the argument. Like, this is going to happen either way, so do it on your own terms. Yeah, exactly. It's like, rather than fight to keep its tax exemption, the LDS Church ought to relinquish it voluntarily now. Tax exemption has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ or sharing it with the world, but it does have very much to do with the critics of our church who use it as a virtuous platform from which to attack attack us. It invites contention. So basically, like, let's just settle the problem by uh, making it not a problem anymore. Which is an interesting argument. Um, has tax implications for every member in the USA, but yeah, if we weren't tax exempt, I mean, good if we're going to. I mean, I know they they've raised the uh, standard deduction, but still, I mean, yeah. On. I listened to a, an interview with a tax lawyer, and he said that um, today, most of the time, we associate the word charity with helping the poor, or historically, the word charity could just mean like it could mean a church that operates and so donating money to charity could just be donating to the church for its operations but nowadays we have that strict like association with charity has to be helping the poor and so people see it as a cheat that people are donating to their church and it's not a charity per se like you would think of the red cross or whatever yeah so he's just saying let's just get rid of that uh pr problem interesting idea I, don't know. I think that one line you read, I thought was kind of interesting, though, when he just said, like, being tax exempt has, like, nothing to do with, like, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, it's just, it's, it's literally just us trying to protect our money. I mean, that's all we're doing. I mean, yeah, it is. And we're using and it, it, and we're using it for, we're using it for good, but it's just to have preferential financial situation. Yeah. And that's it. And we're, and, uh, we're not tax exempt everywhere globally, but we certainly are in the United States. Um, interesting perspective. Very interesting perspective. Yeah. Uh, I am intrigued by your, your, I actually would, uh, we're a little long, but, but Liz, like you're an author, you're, you're a writer, you're, you're to the stuff. If you want to yeah. do a quick, a quick blitz through some of these literary things that are, I think that's a fun little corner we could close with. That might be interesting for our listeners to see what's going on in the literary world for Latter-day Saints. Yeah. I'm, um, on the board actually of the association for Mormon letters. So we promote, promote Mormon literature, literature by Latter-day Saints and other um, associated branches of the restoration. Um, so this weekend was the Whitney awards, which is it's named after Orson F Whitney. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are awards for books, um, written by LDS authors and they gave, um, a lifetime achievement award. This was interesting. Two ends of the Mormon writer spectrum, one to Brandon Sanderson and one to Darius gray. So there's your, uh, two ends of the uh, Mormon writing spectrum. <laughs> Science people fiction don't know. and fantasy. And then uh, Darius Gray is a Black Latter-day Saint who helped write a series of fictionalized history books about uh, early Black saints in the church. Yeah, the Nephites. I believe that Deseret Book. Jews. I've read that. Yeah. yeah. It's a good series. Yeah. So there's that. Those are interesting. I always like looking at the ones that win. Um, 
in other categories. They have all sorts of categories. So if you're interested, you can look at that. Um, yeah, another event this week, this is kind of a sad one, um, but an author named Bella Petsko died, and he actually was the off- author of a kind of controversial mission memoir. He was the first person to write about the mission experience from outside of the Wasatch Front. He's mm. a convert from, I believe, California, and wrote about his experience going on a mission and was very candid about some um, interesting things that happened on his mission Uh And as a result, he ended up losing his job as an English professor at BYU um, and was bitter about that for the rest of his life. And he passed away this week. So, Have you ever read um, Way Below the Angels Um, by Craig Craig Harline? It's kind of in a similar No, I haven't read that one. I I was thinking of another novel. There's a famous novel called A Little Lower Than the Angels, which is about Nauvoo polygamy. This one's more of a memoir of of a guy going on a mission, but it's just like much more matter of fact, which I love about that book. It's not, the whole thing isn't just like, I had amazing, wonderful experiences. A lot of it's like, this missionary sucked and I did not like being with this person. It's it's very real. I believe there's similar things in Bella Petsko's writing. Like he wrote about, um, a lady who tried to seduce the missionaries and fighting with companions and things like that. Yeah, he's very frank. I there was a woman who tried to seduce one of the missionaries I knew on my mission. That was a very. Can you want to indulge me for a fun little anecdote? Go so for I'm, it. I'm in one area of my mission in, in eastern Spain, and uh, uh, we had a zone leader and his companion who were both French. And that's fine. Whoop do you do for them? But because they were both French, they were kind of like always off, like being French together and like speaking French to one another, and nobody knew what was going on all the time. <laughs> so that's so that's all well and good. And then uh, there are our zone leader. They were in a different area, but whatever. Then one day, all of a sudden, the phone rings, and I'm down in my area, and, and I'm the district leader, and I pick up the phone, and the other end's like he's like Elder Openshaw, and I was like what are you doing here? It's one, and it's one of my old roommates from a different area. And he's like, hey, so I'm your zone leader now. And I was like, what is going on? What is going on? And it's not really anything to do with the Frenchies per se. But this elder, who was a good friend of mine, was in a different area. And they've been doing English classes, very common thing for missionaries to teach. And um, one of the attendees had apparently taken a liking to him and had like gotten to the point where um, he's, he described it as like, she was just like really beautiful Spanish woman who was like, always there and like looking me over and I, he's told me he like went to the kitchen to grab something at the church building and she like goes in there and like leans across to block his way out and she was just like so <laughs> and by his account he's just like don't screw up don't screw up don't screw up don't screw up <laughs> and so he told the mission president about it. nothing happened but the mission president immediately was like okay you're gonna have to leave the area like you can't stay there and he's like i get it and anyway, so, so they yanked him out and um, he went to a totally different area and he was there for a week and call and the mission president calls him after a week. He's like, so how's it going down there? He's like, oh, it's great. I went to church here. The ward's really nice. He's like, yeah, that's good. Pack your bags. You're going somewhere else. And he's like, what? And this is because there was also trouble with our zone leader and his companion and some of the local girls in the area they were in. So my good buddy got to be bounced around, transferred like twice in a week and then eventually became my zone leader. All because... An amorous local was trying to seduce him. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. That one's for you, buddy. Okay. That it? We done? We good yep. times? We good times, everybody. Well, hope you've all had a great time. A whole lot of news this week. You can get the links to every single one of these stories 
at the, the show notes for this episode over at thisweekinmormons.com. And of course, write us a review wherever you get podcasts, if you'd be so kind. And we want to recognize and appreciate our supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisweekinmormons. You can put up, you know, three, four bucks a month. Uh, and it sounds like minimal, like it's not going to make an impact, but it actually makes a very sizable impact because all of you together make a difference and help us pay our various fees to keep this thing going. So it's, it's super, super appreciated. Thank you very much for doing that. Uh, and just thanks for taking the time to listen. Please subscribe wherever you get this podcast. Make sure to tell your friends as well, right? We can still be a hot ticket in town in our 13th year, can't we? I think we can. And I'd love to thank my wonderful co-host this week, Corey Ward. Love to see you, buddy. Thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure. And Liz Busby. Thank you so much, Liz. It's been great to have you here. Yeah, happy to be here. Please go to your podcast and subscribe to it and listen to The Apricot Tree and all the things it has to tell us about That's the pop- right. Pop culture on The Apricot Tree. That'd be great. Well, it's been great having you guys. Uh, and all of you listening, thanks again for taking the time to do so. We make this show for you and appreciate you. You appreciate your patronage and you uh, taking the time to make us part of your week. So until then, we'll talk to you next week. Should be the Twin Sisters, if I'm not mistaken. So if you're excited, they'll be they'll be here and there will be some Mormons behaving badly. I have absolutely no doubt of that about that. Until then, we'll talk to you later. For everybody here, this week in Mormons is done. Bye-bye. <laughs>